easy being a Christian in the world today. Join us as we discuss theology, church history, cults, philosophy, worldview, and apologetics. Intellectually engaging, humorous, and at times controversial, Ryan and Seth make the subject matter accessible to anyone, whether young or old, skeptical or mature believer. AnchorCast is a ministry of Anchor New England. Welcome to AnchorCast, a ministry of Anchor New England. I'm Ryan. And I'm Seth. And we are here today to talk to you about all things philosophy, theology, church history, all kinds of weird and wonderful, amazing things that God is doing in this world. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to have a little bit of fun, uh, maybe a little bit uh, edgy or controversial at times, um, but certainly uh, exciting and interesting, hopefully. So, uh, this is our inaugural episode, uh, Seth, and I know that we've been kind of talking about—this is kind of a long time coming, right? It is, it is. We've 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 thought for years and, and talked for years about having a podcast or a, or a show on YouTube or something like that. Yeah, so this is kind of—it's uh, exciting, um, but it's a little bit strange at the same time, I think, to, to be able to finally um, get here. Uh, but but really, um, the reason for doing this is um, to try to reach out to our, our communities, to try to reach out to the world about um, the, the uh, power of the Christian gospel and, and the power of apologetics to kind of anchor us in, uh, in our faith. And today we've got an interesting topic that we want to get into. Uh, we're, we're talking a little bit about this um, phenomenon that you might have seen recently called deconstruction, or it's, it's also been called um, deconversion. Um, it's kind of a trend in the uh, evangelical world that um, has kind of developed over the last few years. In fact, there's, I think there's even an, a, a hashtag now on Twitter called uh, exvangelical or, so, or something like that, and people are, are, are using this to make very public um, and loud pronouncements about um, leaving Christianity or leaving the evangelical church in particular. Now, obviously, um, some people who are, who are out there aren't necessarily leaving altogether, but they're kind of taking on a different brand or a different form of Christianity, more, more progressive, um, possibly. They still claim to be, claim to be Christians. Um, but, um, and, and, and there's been really some uh, very high-profile, uh, influential uh, people as of late who have um, come out to say, "Hey, we're not, you know, we're not in the church anymore. We're, we're, we're out of, um, out of this whole thing, and we, we've lost our faith, or we've abandoned our faith, or whatever, or we're on a journey." However, they might describe it. Um, people like uh, famous people like Rhett and Link, um, YouTube stars. 
uh, once, I think, Campus Crusade uh, leaders and uh, very, very influential with, uh, with people on YouTube. Uh, Bart, Bart Campolo, um, obviously uh, some, son of a very uh, famous pastor. Um, Joshua Harris of the I Kiss Dating Goodbye um, book, and uh, very, very famously um, has abandoned the faith. Uh, Kevin Max recently of DC Talk is sort of um, he's sort of saying, well, you know, I kind of still believe in this, uh, you know, universal Christ, but maybe not um, the the Christ of the evangelical uh, church. Um, think of others: uh, Hawk Nelson, um, uh, uh, Abe Piper, um, who has who's sort of left the church, come back, and then left again um, at this point. So there, there's a lot of stuff going on uh, right now uh, in, in the social media sphere and a lot of buzz about this um, concept of leaving the church or deconstructing. Um, I guess the, the first question I'd like to ask, and, and maybe not a super obvious question, but I think an important one nonetheless, is, um, is this really something that we ought to be concerned about? I mean, um, hasn't this always been been happening throughout history? And um, is it is it just social media or technology that's that's uh, magnifying uh, this this problem um, in the church today? I think it is something that, to an extent, has always been happening. But yes, it is more visible now, and and. Um you know, we live in the in the day and age of internet stars being internet famous. Right. Uh, some of these names, um, you know, if we were pre-internet right now, some of these names would not even be known to us. Maybe someone like Abraham Piper would be, because presumably John Piper would still be a pastor and speaker and writer. Right. And if we heard that uh, his son had abandoned the faith, um, we still would have heard about that. But Rhett and Link, who would they be if there was no internet? So some of these people, we would just... They might have still gone through a process of leaving the faith or deconstructing or deconverting, uh, but we wouldn't necessarily know who they are or know about it. I'd also say that even though deconstruction is kind of the word of the hour right now, and it seems like uh, you know, it seems like we started seeing that in 2020. Um, you know, th- these things have been happening online for for some time. I think of Rob Bell, yeah, uh, writing the book Love Wins, right. and I forget who who made this tweet or this social media post that someone said, you know, like, so long, Rob Bell, as though to say, you've departed the faith, we're not going to see you again, kind of thing. So, you know, that the word deconstruction wasn't necessarily used in that conversation. But, you know, those types of things, people departing for more progressive waters, um, Mm -hmm. uh, and sort of leaving a more conservative and, we would say, orthodox expression of the faith. But, um, yeah, I mean, there's always going to be people that are going to, um, that never felt at home, or maybe they once felt at home and something has happened and, and they've mm-hmm. moved on, but definitely the internet amplifies all of those things and social media. So so does it just amplify it, or is it also an aggravator of it as well? In other words, um, are, we, are we in this... Um, in this environment where there's just so much information and so much disinformation um, that can be processed through technology that it's hard for for people to kind of wrap their arms around it. 
Uh, well, that and there's also a um, a thing where you see everyone else doing something, and that's going to influence you to do it too. You know, if if right. several people that you've followed on social media uh, are now uh, saying, "Well, I'm not sure I'm a Christian anymore," if you're someone who isn't properly grounded in the faith yourself, you might say, "Well, maybe I need to question some things too." So it probably is aggravating it to some degree, and and. Uh, maybe causing it to, to spread a little faster. Yeah. Um, what would you say um, are some of the root causes of this and this movement? Uh, what, what do you think is actually kind of at the, at the base of it? You know, hard to say. Um, I, I was thinking about this uh, a little this week in, 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 as I was kind of preparing myself mentally for this conversation. I think that there's there's got to be more than one uh, cause, more than one thing influencing it. But I think from from my perspective, I, I kind of think about people that have maybe had unquestioning allegiance to some denomination or church. Mm-hmm. Uh, something causes them to become disillusioned with that, mm-hmm. uh, and therefore all of Christianity or all of evangelical Christianity must be uh, suspect uh, because of that. So a, a couple of things come to my mind as I kind of go down that road in my thinking. One is that some of these people that are deconstructing or deconverting probably have some legitimate grievances. Yeah, right. So if I was in a, in a, in a church uh, where leadership was manipulative, abusive, um, did refuse to answer my questions or, um, you know, or, or, or was, um, you know, maybe somewhat cult-like in its thinking or something, um, I might go through a similar process too. Like, uh, you know, now I have to leave this church. Now I don't know what I believe now. You know what I mean? So yeah, some of these people right. probably have some legitimate grievances. They've probably been, um, you know, in a situation where they were not treated well. I think about, um, and you know, as you mentioned that, I was actually just watching a podcast uh, yesterday, and it was from Christianity Today, and they were talking about um, actually a new podcast that that's coming out, or a new series that's coming out called "The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill," and uh, you might be familiar with that whole incident with Pastor Mark Driscoll. Uh, who became very, very popular, very, very famous within um, Christian circles, Christian subculture. Many people made professions of faith under his leadership, um, but then eventually uh, an investigation kind of uh, ensued with regard to his leadership and and, um, the elders and and some other uh, persons uh, outside um, third parties determined that he had, there was kind of a toxic culture where his leadership was very aggressive and that sort of thing. And, and Mars Hill as an organization, I mean, they, they disbanded, like the, the churches uh, closed, um, Acts 29, which was the church planting network, separated themselves from, from Mark Driscoll. Um, and my understanding is that a lot of people were sort of uh, wrecked in the carnage of everything that happened. Um, and you sort of think about those situations and, and, and those circumstances where people are looking up to this charismatic leader or this individual, 
and you wonder how much of their faith has been been rooted or or been tied to in some way that particular person. Yeah, which is actually a great segue for a future episode because we want to talk about celebrity culture and credibility yeah, and right. and those sorts of things. I, I do think that's a big deal. And um, you know, I think about James McDonald. Right. I used to really enjoy listening to James McDonald's sermons and teachings um, on the radio and, and so on, and he has had a high-profile fall mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. well, you know? So you, you think about those t- sorts of situations. There are situations where, at least in externally uh, Bible-believing, um, conservatively-oriented uh, churches, there have been abusive situations and and situations where where he- leaders have been heavy-handed have have uh, been abusive and mm-hmm. and um, so on you can see how that would cause someone to be disillusioned yep yep and and what about what about people who um, we're talking about people who earnestly uh, perhaps made a profession of faith but might, might there also be a group of people uh, who never really bought into the authority of God's Word to begin with, um, where Christianity was just uh, a cultural thing only, or where Christianity was just about how they felt when they went to church, or that sort of thing? I do, yep. And, um, you know, these many of these are the same people that will say, well, you know, I still like Jesus, I just don't like his church, or... Yeah. You know, or I don't like, uh, um, you know, uh, judgmental versions of, of the Christian faith or, mm-hmm. or something like that. Another thing that I was thinking about is um, some of these people that are deconstructing, um, they bring up these intellectual objections to faith, um, and they act as though... Uh, this is new information for them. Right. Yeah. You know, um, how could a good God allow an earthquake that killed all those people? Right. It's like, well, you just thought of that today. Right. Yeah. Um, in in my own, my own journey um, has been in some ways maybe the opposite of, of some folks uh, that are on this deconstruction trajectory. So you have folks that I, I think sort of the standard um, story arc is, hey, I was raised in the church and I was always in this conservative um, track. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the case of someone like Joshua Harris, I was even in ministry and, um, and I, was, I was you know promoting the party line. And then something happened, and oh no, now I don't know what I believe. I was raised in in liberal churches, Mm -hmm. um, began to read the Bible on my own after uh, taking a uh, quite secularly oriented class in Bible in in college. This was not a faith-based class. I was an English major in college, so this was a, uh, you know, the Bible as literature type of thing, treating the Bible like it's Shakespeare or anything else. Right. Um, that, that, I mean, in, in, in some ways, the Bible from that class was my first study Bible. Uh, so it was a Bible that had the critical apparatus in it uh, that would, you know, if you're reading the study notes, that would suggest that Isaiah had multiple authors sure. and, and, and that type of thing. And uh, I just remember 
just almost indiscriminately reading any book I could get my hands on that had to do with the Christian faith. And so reading everything, and this is not a recommendation for how to, for how to do things the right way, but reading right. everything from process theology to Christian science to, to, uh, to books about Calvinism to uh, you know, things that were orthodox and things not so much. Yeah, right. um, and, and I just sort of like consumed it all, and it all kind of, you know, I'm sure it all went into the soup in, in some way. It's explained and, your interest in Nephilim to this day. Uh, right? you, you, you said we weren't allowed to talk about that on here. Right. So I sort of read indiscriminately, yeah. and, and my theology today is surprisingly orthodox for all that. How did that happen? But... Um, <laughs> No one knows. It's the <laughs> okay. mysterious uh, workings of the Holy Spirit. But yes. the thing is, um, I never had the feeling that you couldn't ask questions mm -hmm. or that certain things were off limits to talk about. Mm -hmm. So um, there's never going to be a point in my faith journey where it's like, oh no, someone just raised an objection that I don't know how to answer. What am I going to do? Right. Uh, if someone comes up and says, you know, Isaiah probably had multiple authors. I'm, I'm first of all going to say, well, no, it didn't. But, <laughs> right. but I mean, it, that isn't a surprise to me. I encountered that 23 years ago at the beginning of, of my journey. So there's, there's, I think one of the things is we have to be comfortable as a church with letting people ask questions and not, right. and not, and not just sort of having a canned answer to things. Um, is this is this can this go back to um, the insecurity maybe of many church leaders um, and not really understanding the why of what they believe um, and, and in in fact in, in a lot of cases many not even understanding the what of what they believe in terms of Orthodox historic Christianity um, and then feeling like we have to hold on to people at all costs because that's really what the church is about. It's about how many people we can fit into the into the pews on Sunday. And so we're not really so concerned about um, those deeper questions as much as it is about trying to promote a certain ideology. Yeah. Yep. Well, and then um, as things break down, those ideologies that were once so closely held uh, seem to evaporate. I saw an interview with Mark Driscoll where he now... Um, he now says that Calvinism is not biblical. He no longer holds that view. Right. Um, which, um, you know, we both know that um, Christianity is is bigger than than Calvinism. So if someone sure. rejects some particular ism or or holds it now more loosely than they used to, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're not saved or something mm -hmm. like that. But. Uh, you know, for a guy who was who was generally well regarded in in reformed circles, who's mm -hmm. now who now no longer holds to a Calvinist soteriology, is sort of interesting. That's a that's a big statement for him. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. Um, and then and then sort of um, so somewhat along those same lines, um, in a church that uh, I attended years ago. Uh, the pastor was, uh, you know, held to a, a pre-tribulation rapture, mm -hmm. and I remember having multiple discussions with him about that because, you know, even way back then I was questioning that, and, uh, you know, I brought up a number of verses and said, I, I just don't, um, 
see how you get there. Mm-hmm. And his response was, well, that's the way I was taught it, so that's how I teach it. Right. Which is also not the right answer. No. And, and that's going to make people feel insecure about their faith. I mean, even if it is peripheral kind of um, doctrine that we're talking about here, um, it, it, that, that kind of response leads people to, to ask the bigger question, which is, if this person's not going to be honest with me about this particular issue, or if they don't really understand it, what about the deeper questions of, yeah. you know, the resurrection of Jesus, for example? Haven't you ever explored these things for yourself? Right. Or are you just spouting a party line? Right. Exactly. And and that's probably one of the one of the things that I think is responsible for that. So I, I think it's it's really incumbent on us as uh, as the church as leaders to make sure that we're taking people's objections and questions seriously, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So um, so what about, you know, and, and I'm trying to find a theological basis for what we're seeing happening in this, this sort of phenomenon of deconstruction or, or leaving the Church. And one of the passages I, I stumbled upon is, is from 1 John um, chapter 2, and I just want to read it for you real quick here. And this is uh, the Apostle uh, John, and he's, he's writing sort of about—there's um, all kinds of, of controversy that's happening in the Church theologically. Uh, people are teaching false doctrines about the personhood of Christ and you know, whether or not um, he, was, he was fully in flesh, let's say, uh, or incarnate. And, um, and John goes on to say, "...they went out from us." But they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. And um, is this, I guess, in any way an an indictment of this deconstruction movement or this deconversion movement? In other words, can we say with any degree of confidence that those who have left the Church were never truly members of the body of Christ to begin with? Well, some of them probably weren't, but, yep. but um, God is the one who separates the wheat from the tares, mm-hmm. right? So there, there, there may be people, and we mentioned Abraham Piper who left and came back and, mm-hmm. and has uh, left again. There may be people who leave or appear to leave who then come back and they actually stay when they come back. Right. Uh, I have seen one or two uh, videos online of people uh, talking about reconstructing their faith. That's probably not as um, prevalent as the people that are just deconstructing and staying. Well, we all that way, we all but... like to watch an accident. You know, we all like to watch the train wreck. Yeah. Uh, nobody wants to sit and watch a house be built. You know what right, I mean? Right. <laughs> yeah. Putting it back together is, right. isn't as isn't as exciting or as uh, as scintillating. Um, I think so. I think that there's folks that um, really weren't of us and uh, were were perhaps never really saved. Although I think that can also be an easy. Uh, easy answer and easy solace for the the people that are still in the church. Oh well, that guy left because he was never really of us. Right. That that absolves us of any responsibility. We didn't do a bad job discipling this person. He just was never really yeah. saved. No compassion necessary. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. We we don't really need to be concerned yeah. because so we've long, done Rob everything Bell. right. Yeah. Bye, Rob. You know. Yeah. See you later. Yeah. 
Um, so I, I, I like that um, because uh, the thing that I like is it, it encourages us to take responsibility for this as well, for this process. I did um, think of this uh, verse as well, Hebrews 6, uh, starting in verse 4. So there is a, uh, there is a concern here, and, um, you know, there, there is also a warning here. I mean, let's, right. be, let's, be, let's be real. Scripture uh, warns us of, of certain things. Hebrews 6, starting in verse 4, mm-hmm. For it is impossible, in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away, to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. Mm. So there's a, there is a warning there, too, that um, are you sure you know what you're doing? Yeah. If, if you're, and, and as you noted, not all of these folks who are, who are deconstructing are consider themselves to be fully leaving Christianity. Right. Uh, many of them are, you know, em- embracing some something that looks like some kind of Christian spirituality, but maybe a more progressive version of it. But some of these folks that are saying, Christianity's out for me now. Yeah. Are you sure you know what you're leaving? Are you sure that you want to do this? Because right. you may be making a decision that's that you can't undo. Well, we see we see we see constantly in the scripture warnings about the hardening of hearts, you know, and once you sort of go down that road, uh, it's a very dangerous path to, to to be traveling for sure. Yeah, so I guess um, that kind of leads to the final question that I want to ask, and and because I want to end this um, on some kind of a hopeful. No, I don't. I don't want to just. Start you don't want to just leave it there with yeah. Hebrews six. Sorry, guys. <laughs> no, I'd like to. I'd like to kind of talk about this. Hopefully, um, so what? What's the answer? I mean, uh, what can we as church leaders be focused on doing to um, address this problem to meet it head on? I think the answer is good discipleship. Right. Letting people ask questions, mm-hmm. uh, not being afraid of questions, not being afraid to say I don't know, right. or or not being um, not being afraid to say I I don't have a fully orbed uh, answer for that right now. Um, I mean, I've been a Christian for twenty three years, read lots of books, read the Bible cover to cover many times. But if you said to me right now, explain to me, uh, is it six twenty-four literal hours, uh, you know, six days of, of, of creation, literally, or is it something else? I'd be like, and that's all the time we have today <laughs> on the AnchorCast. See you next time. Right. right. Um, that we, it's, not, it's, it's not wrong to be like, well, um, I don't have an easy answer for that right now. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes... Church leaders, uh, particularly maybe within certain churches or certain denominational streams, are uncomfortable with loose ends. It ha- things have to sort of fit the, um, the 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 narrative that's that's part of the branding for for that particular denomination. Mm-hmm. The other thing is, um, you know, we all just need lots and lots of you know of preaching. We need to, we need to have the gospel preached to us. Consistently every week, 
Preach it to ourselves. Preach it to ourselves. Yeah. Uh, nobody needs sermons about, you know, seven ways to, you know, have your best life now. Uh, yeah. We all need to, you know, have have this uh, preached to us every week. That's really powerful because I think one of the things that we do see in Christian culture is the elevation of some of these personalities who are who are charismatic persons who are attractive to us because they seem to be successful and they seem to have this uh, this script for success. If you just do A, B, C, and D, then you can be just like me and have you know all of the, the things that God wants you to have in your life. And I think one of the one of the things that I see happening is people really buying into that and then not seeing the result, right? And then not understanding that that's really not the gospel either. That's a that's a kind of a false gospel, and it's it's leading people astray, and it's and it's and it's leaving in its wake a whole uh, bunch of broken people who are who are really wrestling yeah. with is there actually a God? Because this person who is a leader who is supposed to know, has told me all of these uh, ingredients for success, and I'm not, I don't feel like I'm actually finding the answers. Yeah, yeah, and, and, the, and in many of these settings that, um, that I think you're thinking of, they're not really preaching the cross of Christ. They're no. preaching more of a, a self-help um, type of thing, almost like a TED Talk, yeah. uh, which is nothing wrong with watching a TED Talk if, if, they're, if, if that's what you, if the information is something that you need to, they're trying to find out, and then and, and there's someone who's doing a good job presenting it, but that's not biblical preaching, it's not preaching the cross. Therapeutic uh, yes, deism. Yeah, the- therapeutic thing. deism. Um, the, I'm, I'm thankfully in a church now where I hear the gospel every week, and um, I'm, I'm thankful to sit under my pastor's preaching. But I will say that over the years, I've heard way more weak preaching than I have strong preaching, unfortunately, in, mm-hmm. in multiple different churches. Mm-hmm. And um, I, th- I think there is a dearth of good preaching mm-hmm. um, in the land. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there's, there's a lack of leadership in that, in that regard. Um, and I think it's because people want to have their ears tickled, really. I mean, it, it's, it's exciting to hear things that you think are going to be helpful to you personally, rather than hearing things that are challenging you to pour yourself out for the sake of Christ. I mean, um, who wants to hear that you have to die to self in order to live for Christ? I mean, that, that is, uh, according to Paul in Romans, that is uh, our responsibility, and, and it's what worship looks like, is being willing to put ourselves up on the altar as a living sacrifice. And uh, if that isn't at the core of what it is that we're teaching as, uh, as Christians, then, um, then we're failing, I think. And I, I think, to your point, we're going we're gonna to leave a lot of, of mess behind us. Yeah. I also think church leaders need to focus on the same things that the first church leaders focused on, prayer and the Word. Yeah, and, spiritual discipline. And then when there were other administrative duties that came up, well, let's go appoint some men who will deal with that for us, because it's not right for us to stop focusing on prayer and the Word. Mm-hmm. I think, in, particularly in some larger churches, it's possible for church leaders um, to get caught up in administrative duties, running the church almost like a business, and right. and that's fine. Somebody has to do those duties, but 
the pastor's primary job uh, really needs to be feeding the flock with the Word every week. Now, now this does sort of get to the heart of one of the objections you hear uh, from people on the more progressive wing of Christianity who will suggest that the Church is, is really just an institution that's promoting um, itself, and, and all it's really interested in is getting people in the pews. The and numbers not, and the dollars. Yeah, we're not going out into the world, and we're not doing the things that the Church should be doing. I mean, is that criticism fair? Um, and and if so, what do we what do we do about that? Uh, in some cases, that, that criticism is fair. Um, and um, for sure, we, sh- we shouldn't be just focused on attendance, right. um, and we shouldn't just be focused on how much money we can raise. Mm-hmm. Mm. I, I heard an interesting uh, sort of, I guess, critique of that whole social justice movement within the Church, and uh, one of the things that they said was they sort of, they're sort of putting the cart before the horse. Um, you want all of the effects of the gospel without the, the gospel itself, and um, I, I, I guess I would encourage and uh, I would really um, adjure uh, leaders within the Church to ensure that the gospel is not—the faith is not dead. I mean, that's the warning of James, right? That without works, your faith is dead. So if you're there just to sort of have this nice little cultural Christianity, then it's not going to actually have the impact that you're looking for it to have. Not only that, but you're shortchanging uh, you're the, the people within the body of Christ, not giving them an opportunity to use their gifts, uh, and, and they're not ultimately going to glorify God in the way that they were designed to if they're not, if they're not interacting in that way. Yeah, and um, I don't think there's an either-or um, thing with, with the gospel and social justice, like as though, you know, cons- churches that have a conservative orientation towards uh, the gospel and towards preaching as though they don't care about feeding the homeless. And and then on the other hand, uh, churches, you know, a church that might run a soup kitchen or something as though they, they're not allowed to care about preaching and, and discipling people. Those two things can go together. They should. Um, Yeah. I mean, the Salvation Army is known for its thrift stores and for its, its social gospel type stance. But, um, I remember watching a video where they were where someone was interviewing Leonard Ravenhill, mm. and um, earlier on in his life he had been acquainted with some of the um, Salvation Army leaders, like the one, like kind of, kind of that first generation who happened to be still be alive when Ra- Ravenhill was a younger man, and um, it wasn't just social justice; those men were also preaching the gospel on the street corner, being spit on. Right. He said that people would empty their bedpans out the window on top of these guys who were preaching out on the street. Yeah. So it was there's this there was the social justice element of it, but there was also a repent and believe yeah. element of it. No, that's powerful. That's powerful. Well, uh, this has been a really great conversation, Seth. I, I really appreciate having you um, talk about this stuff. Um, we're gonna do th- we're gonna do this again. I think. I think. Um, you know. What we want to do here at Anchor New England is really encourage people to think about what it is they believe and why they believe it. Uh, We want people to be uh, built up in the faith. We want people to understand that they're not alone and uh, that there are people out there who 
uh, really do um, value um, uh, how Christianity functions in terms of a worldview and are really trying to promote that. So uh, so we would encourage everyone to uh, go to anchornewengland.org, check out our ministry um, at, there at Anchor New England. You can support uh, us if you'd like to do so. Uh, just click on the support link and uh, just go um, and make a contribution of any amount. If you'd like, um, also, uh, we have a, a, a newsletter, a free newsletter, so you can go toward the bottom of the page at anchornewengland.org and click on uh, the little link there that says True North. Put in, your, uh, put in your email address, and you get a free monthly newsletter that'll tell you about all the happenings and things that are going on with the ministry. And I would like to especially say that our, our, our or say especially that our, our ministry is very concerned about the youth. Our our ministry is very concerned about uh, young people having uh, a sense of um, understanding of what historic Orthodox Christianity looks like and why it's a rational um, faith, uh, not that it's just something you uh, you believe because your parents tell you to believe it or you, or you believe because the the church tells you to believe it but that you believe it because it makes sense, uh, because it makes sense of the world around you. I, I think of the, the, the C.S. Lewis quote, I'm going to butcher it now, but he, he talks about how he believes that Christianity is true, not just because he sees it, but because by it he can see everything else. And uh, I, I think that's really important for us to understand, that we need to help uh, young people to be able to see the world around them through a, a, a Christian lens uh, so they can make sense of the world, and so that they can live a victorious life. So um, with that said, we have a, a, a new series that we're producing. It's actually an animated series called Theo's Ark. If you uh, click on our resource uh, tab, you can scroll down to our news and events link and see some information about that. Um, it's actually an, uh, it's tailored toward children, and the idea is that we want to teach kids apologetics. So we don't want uh, apologetics to be sort of just at the um, on the top shelf. We want to bring it down so that anyone can understand things like the cosmological argument or the teleological argument or you know some of these concepts that we typically think are going to be out of reach for kids. We want um, kids to feel comfortable um, understanding what it is that that they believe and why it is that they believe it. So so check that out. We really encourage you to uh, stay connected with Anchor New England, and we look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Thank you.